welcome to ICU, a podcast where we advocate that compassion and connection save lives. They also make life pretty cool. I'm your host, Julie Lee. I see you. Let's be friends. Welcome to the ICU podcast. This is episode 51, Suicide Changed the Way I Do Business. So I've had a good week so far. We took our kids to see Lion King yesterday, and it was funny because my husband and I both wanted to see Aladdin. So we had the kids watch both the previews. We said they could choose. And then we went around the room, and we each got to vote. And we said, Lydia, what do you want to see? She said, Lion King. Julie, what do you want to see? And I said, Aladdin. Sam, what do you want to see? Lion King. Rob, what do you want to see? Aladdin. So like, well, clearly they haven't seen enough Aladdin clips from the new movie. We'll get them more excited. And so I just kept playing the different songs and the different clips. And then we, once again, well, what do you want to see now? Do you want to see Lion King or Aladdin? And once again, we go around the room and every time my kids were like, Lion King, Lion King, Lion King. Anyways, so we we finally gave in and we unsaw Lion King and it was super fun. It was really great. Even our front row seats where our necks were craned up, it was still still a blast. Hopefully my kids have nightmares from Scar though. He's pretty scary. We're going to start with a review for the week. And because of the drawing I'm doing this week for the 50 episodes, we have a lot of new reviews, which is awesome. So the one I want to share with you is, this is from Trout88. It's entitled, I Need This Every Day, five stars. It says, this podcast is the best for opening up your heart and learning the perspectives of others. We only know our own experiences. And because of that, we can become so judgmental of others. And then in that, we don't connect or have compassion for other people. Julie does a wonderful job bringing a huge variety of people and experiences on this podcast, and it really opens up your mind, and you get different perspectives and love for all people. I know Julie very personally. Ooh, I don't know who this is, but they know me personally. I know Julie very personally and can attest that she strives to live everything that she teaches on here. She is amazing and has so much to offer to everyone in her podcast, and of course in life, but this is a rating for the podcast. Listening to all of these different episodes has helped me so much in my life, learning how to have love for all different kinds of people and how to help them. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Trout88. I'm sure I really do know you in real life. I just don't recognize you by your username, but that's so special. I guess also, though, if you listen to this podcast, you already know me pretty personally and intimately with all that I've shared. But thank you for all those reviews. Please continue to leave reviews. That helps people find the podcast. So we are going to go ahead and I have my guest here, Lark, and we'll introduce you in a second, but I'm going to go ahead and do the drawing for the t-shirt now live on podcast. And I'm glad you're here, Lark, because I want to make sure that someone witnesses that I am not choosing who gets it because I have like a couple sisters in here and stuff. So I got to be real careful. Okay. It's totally anonymous in there. Totally anonymous. (laughs) I'm not even looking. And Sam, he folded all these cute little papers for me. Okay. Oh my gosh, someone just texted that they left a review. Hang on. Okay, I changed my mind. Tashi, I did put your name in. You just texted me. I changed my mind. I'm going to have our guest draw it because then I'll just feel better about it. So just drawing. And you announced it. Oh, there we go. You got got the paper. The paper is Mark Hopper. Mark, congratulations. Kay, you actually know Mark if you consistently listen to the podcast. He is fanboy. That's what he calls himself for this podcast. He's so awesome. He works for Vital Smarts. He did the episode about his single mom. It was really fantastic. So Mark, you're the winner. You get a free shirt. I will contact you and get you a free shirt and you can choose which one. Thanks everybody that was in the drawing and I'm sure we'll do more stuff like that in the future. I'd like to turn over the time now to 
our beautiful guest here with me in my podcast room, and that is Lark Galley. Welcome to the podcast, Thank Lark. You. Thank you. I'm excited to be here because I've been stalking you for a while. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Maybe Trout88 was also stalking me, the one that said they know me personally. No, I'm just kidding. Will you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Absolutely. So I was born in Utah, but uh, my father and mother were very adventurous. We moved all around the United States. I went to a different school every year of my life. Pros and cons. I'm very friendly and outgoing. I make friends easily. But as far as like long time besties, known you forever, don't have <laughs> really any of those. Yeah. And then uh, later after I came back to go to the University of Utah and then uh, living here, I'm like, okay, Utah is so conservative. I have got to get out of here. Mm-hmm. I moved to the Bay Area for four years. And then okay. I was like, this is so liberal. I, yeah, I was going to say, I got the Bay Area yeah. compared to Utah. Exactly. Utah. And I've been here now 23 years. Raised my kids here and um, just really, really been happy to be here. Awesome. You reached out to me because you have been wanting to share hope. You felt a drive yes. about that. Mm-hmm. Will you tell me about your son who committed suicide yes. 16 weeks ago? 16 weeks ago tomorrow. Yeah. I, wow. I found it. I count in weeks and my husband counts in days. I mean, it's okay. really fresh, right? Yes. First of all, it was a shock. It was not like something like, oh yeah, we knew it was coming or we saw it or, you know, he had all the signs. He hadn't attempted before or anything. He, no, he had not attempted before. There was, a, there was a thing where he brought up that he was feeling suicidal and I can share about that. Okay. Um, but like, as far as like, how did this even happen? We have no ideas. And as parents, it's like, what the heck? You know, you're, you go to bed, you think your kid's going to bed and the next morning, you know, he doesn't get up that, that it was shocking. You know, he had friends, he had hobbies, he had interests. He was a freshman at the university of Utah studying mechanical engineering, which he had wanted to do since he was six years old. I mean, you look at him and say, future's bright, super smart kid. I will say that he was a little more sensitive kid than my, my girls, you know, my girls are like tough as nails type. And he's <laughs> like, Oh, that hurt a little bit, you know, just to be aware of that, you know, kids that tend to be a little bit more sensitive, they, they tend to take on other people's feelings. They're empathic. So, mm-hmm. so that would just be something just to be more sensitive to, to people like that, but no ideas, right. In retrospect, you know, after it happened, I have talked to a lot of therapists and I've been trying to find answers. And what one therapist said is that suicide is not a decision because that's the way I looked at it at first. Oh, you know, life got too hard. You know, he had a couple of speeding tickets. He'd been in an accident. He was about to lose his driver's license. You know, as a 19 year old, that's like the end of the world, right? And his grades had been slipping a little bit. So as an adult, you can look at this and say, it's not the end of the world. We'll just work through it. But as a teenager, their brains aren't developed and they're like, my world's over. And that's the different perspective. The therapist had told me that they go on this path, the people that have suicidal ideation, and they hurt. They're in like a physical pain. So it's like, think of cutting your arm down to the bone and you look at it and you're like, wow, that hurts. It's gross. It's ugly. But I know if I take care of it, bandage it up, get stitches or whatever, I can heal it. But think of that pain inside. And I've been down that dark road where it's just dark and it hurts. You don't know if you'll ever get better. You have no answers. There's no visual way that you see it's going to help. They just want it to stop. Mm-hmm. And so they come up with this idea, well, I can go down the route of suicide. They get horrified by that. So they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to tell someone else because then someone else will be horrified by it. And so they just think about it. And then the issue is, is once they have a plan, they start to feel better. Mm-hmm. So three and a half years before my son killed himself. He and my husband were having this conversation. He's about to start his sophomore year. He's 15, almost turning 16. And they're having this conversation about, you know, you need to buck up, get ready and all of this. And my son kind of had this distant look in his eyes. 
My husband is military, military trained, and he noticed some change in my son. And he said, are you feeling suicidal? Which is really important. You need to use the words, are you feeling suicidal? Are you going to kill yourself? You have to use those hard words. If you use the hard words, that allows them to use the hard words. Mm -hmm. It's not going to spur them on suddenly to think, oh yeah, well, that's a great idea. I'm going to go kill myself. Thank you for bringing that up. You know, right. So my husband asked him that and he said, yes, I'm feeling suicidal, which was brave on both sides, right? Yes. To say that. Uh, with Sunday evening, my husband immediately went in and called a military hotline that they have for suicide. He arranged for a therapist for the next day. And, you know, he asked me to kind of keep an eye on our son, which I did. And we talked and we kind of made it through the evening. Okay. Can you, can you make it through tomorrow? We have an appointment. Are we going to be okay? He said, yes. So I took him into the therapist the next day. He talked to her for an hour and then I was sitting in the hall and I came inside And the therapist said, well, do you want to tell her or do you want me to tell her? And he said, no, I'll tell her. And he said, mom, I don't believe in God anymore. I believe in science. And this was my very analytical boy. I looked at him, you know, I'm like, okay, son, I believe God is science. But, you know, if that's important to you, you run with that, right? Mm -hmm. And he's looking at me like he's expecting me to explode and go crazy. And I'm like, I can't make you believe in something. You can believe whatever you want, but that's not what I believe. And, And so I just wanted to share that with you. But I think... He was afraid to share what he was feeling, which was sad for me because I thought, well, we have a pretty open house. The fact that he couldn't bring it up surprised me. And so I want to point out to parents, we need to be in a space where if our kid comes to us and says, hey, mom, I don't believe in God anymore. Or, hey, mom, I think I'm gay. Or, hey, mom, I got the girl down the street pregnant. We need to like reevaluate and understand that you just need to cool it and not come out in an aggressive manner create a safe space, whatever they do, it doesn't mean that you accept it. That's maybe not what you choose, but it's happened to them. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, we need to love them. And they're trusting you in that moment. They're trusting you. And so you need to take care of that carefully. Exactly. Because that indicates how everything in the future is going to go. Just create a safe space and show love and guide them. Their whole life isn't over just because there's something that happened. Just guide them and allow a safe space. I think parents get wrapped up and say, oh, you know, my ego, the way people view me is tied to my child. Yeah, well, we need to get over that Mm -hmm. for the sake of our children. I love that. Obviously, that was really painful. Mm -hmm. Waking up and your son was gone. Who are some people that helped see you through that pain after, which I'm sure you're still experiencing. Right. I mean, it's yeah, and it's surreal and it's just like so strange. And, And people have been so kind to both me and my husband and and the rest of my children. I was actually teaching a class. I had left early that morning. I had no idea that he had passed away, right? Teaching a class and a police officer comes to, into the, the building and he's looking for me and says, can, you know, can we have a private talk? And your son is dead. And I just, I couldn't understand what he was saying. It wasn't real for me. And I'm just looking at him and I'm like, okay, let me just turn the rest of the class over to my co-chair and I'll drive home. Still like in, not hysterical, but just like not believing really. When I got home, there were a lot of first responders there taking care of the situation. And my husband was there and he's battle-hardened army colonel. And he was completely distraught. He had found my son. Mm. He was distraught. Besides calling 911, he had also called a neighbor. who's was a friend of ours and it was a weekday. So who's he, who can he call, right? And so she came over And she was literally there for like two days at our house. A lot of the time she was running interference with, with the civil authorities and doing a lot of the things that needed to happen there. Basically while I was gone for in the beginning, and then I had to go over to the high school to tell my youngest daughter. And you know, that was, that was difficult. So she stayed with him 
during that time. And we, we told them later, you know, we so appreciate your being there during that time and kind of running interference. We know like lots of friends and neighbors and, and family, they want to come and support. But literally those first three days were so emotionally overwhelming. We just said, we, we really can't have a lot of people stopping by. We know they mean well and you know, drop a card off or something, but emotionally, every time you see somebody, it's like you had to go through the whole story again. And it was just so difficult those first few days. And, and other people I've heard whose children have died by suicide, they've been okay. Hey, come on over. You know, we're fine. Come talk to us. But for the most part, it's just so emotionally overwhelming. It's really hard those first few days. Absolutely. What an amazing woman. And that you had the relationship to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And that she just showed up. Exactly. So before all this, you've been a business coach. Right, right. So I I actually own my own business. I've been in corporate America for many years, global logistics, and traveled all around and did lots of things. And then I left corporate America eight years ago. As my kids started coming into those teenage years, you know, they actually need you around more than when they're (laughs) little. You know, you need to keep your eye on those kids. That allowed me to have more flexibility as I had my own businesses. And then later I took over my father's small trucking company. I'm running in it. Normally it's one hour a week when, you know, the wheels don't go off the bus, so to speak, or the trucks. So I was doing business coaching as well. And then with my son's death, it's just like, I really don't have any desire to do what I call the external, like the, the business consulting, working on the the nuts and bolts of a business, I've completely changed like 180. And I'm talking about, let's talk about what's going on inside because we need to fix what's inside. I consider myself a high achiever and all my life I've been like, okay, the next thing, the next thing, let me get this next degree. Let me achieve this next milestone and then I'll be good enough. And then I'll show that I have value and then I'll feel validated. But so often happened, I didn't feel any different. It didn't, you know, provide the value in myself that I was looking for. And as I was doing business coaching, I would talk to business owners and they would do fantastic things. And then I'd say, okay, let's work on your next goal. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not good enough or nobody will come. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? You already did these other things. They were more difficult than the thing you want to do now. And yet they had no belief in themselves, so to speak. I liken that to my son and say, if he knew his value, he wouldn't have taken his life. So many things that he could have done literally invented something to change the world. That's the way his brain worked his whole life. And so I look at that and think we're missing knowing our value, our core value inside. And that's where I've totally shifted my business to talking about that. You had told me that you've even, you've even called up clients. Yes. Tell me about that. Okay. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, yeah, that was like really weird. I feel like this um, talking about suicide prevention and mental wellness is like a calling from God. Honestly, it's like I cannot stop talking about it. I had been preparing this business coaching course that I had been putting out. I'd got some of the modules done. I had sold it. I have clients, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, I can do both. I can still finish this course and still talk about this other thing that I want to do talking about value and and fixing our relationships with ourselves and other people. After a few months, I'm just realizing I really have no desire to finish the business course. I have the material. I can talk about it. I'm just not, I don't care. Right. So I literally had to call up my clients because I want to come through with my contract. They paid for it. Right. And I said, here's the deal. You know, my situation with my son, I feel called to go in a different direction. I can finish this, you know, information. I can teach you one-on-one, do business coaching one-on-one if you'd like. We can refund your money. Or if you want, we can put you into these new courses that I'm going to be doing uh, that's talking about 
your value inside. Let's fix you inside. And then you can go outside and do things. And they were all so kind. They completely understood. You know, they're like, I'm, I'm with you. And everybody through this whole journey has been so kind. So did they stick with you? Most of them? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. They did. So. <laughs> or were they like, uh, peace crazy lady? No. Or were they like, no, yeah, we yeah. did it. You know what? They, some of them made different choices. Oh yeah. I want, you know, one-on-one business coaching because that's what I need. Or yes, let me stick with you through this other course or, you know, that kind of thing. Right. I've been so supported. How have your experiences given you empathy for employees in a business setting? I have some different family members who have have struggled. For example, my father was bipolar. He actually died by suicide five and a half years ago. And at the time, it was so distressing and disturbing, I couldn't talk about it. I just said he, you know, he was in a car accident. I didn't go on to say that that's where it started. And then he pulled out his gun and shot himself. Mm-hmm. It was too much stigma. I couldn't do it. Now that I've been willing to face and talk about my son's suicide... I can talk about my father's suicide and it's allowed me to face reality, right? Wow. And and as I face reality, then I can move forward and say, okay, this happened. I can't change it, but what can I do to change things? I can change how I go out and talk about this to the world and help other people so they don't make that choice. Their family members don't have to go through this grief. With that and having a brother that's kind of made some poor choices, things like that. With my employees, my drivers, I've really tried to show some empathy and there was one you know, young man, he's 26 years old and he struggled with some addictions. I was really lenient. <laughs> you know, he was trying to go through rehab for like the third time and he had some take some time off. And I'm like, okay, I understand. And it turned out in the long run that he couldn't stay with us, but I gave him like several weeks to try to get his life back in order because I felt empathy for him. I really did. And then there was times in the past, another situation where it was a single father and he needed to do some things because somebody was under investigation by family services because somebody had been upset with him and they were just trying to check him. So he needed to have some flexibility and time off just to help his daughter out. Right. And so I was very understanding to take that time off because I think we're people, we're not employees first, right? We're, we're people and we have personal issues. And if we can take care of the personal, if the home life is good, then we can perform better at work. Yeah. That just makes me think of a time when I was, I was really struggling and I was teaching at the time. And I remember being able to have a conversation, a really open conversation with my principal where I was at. And yeah, she was so compassionate. And I think that's why I loved working there Mm -hmm. so much because not all of my workplaces would my boss have responded that way. Right. You know, and it makes you as an employee say, they really care about me. I'm going to work extra hard. I'm going to do whatever I can, right? My daughter, for example, she works at a corporation here in Salt Lake City. She was devastated after her brother's death. She was ready to like chuck it all and go into the wilderness and like lead youth groups. And we said, well, you have a mortgage. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, have, you have responsibilities. You can't just do that. But, you know, she talked to her boss and they allowed her to work through the summer like at 30 hours a week instead of 40 which has allowed her to do some volunteer work, maybe working for the Safe UT app booth as they're talking mm. to, to kids about, you know, if you need help, here's a hotline, here's an app you can use to, mm-hmm. to contact. She's a volunteer to guide people through the canyons and talk about the wildflowers and just connecting with nature. So I appreciate her company seeing that she needed a little bit of time to regroup and, and she's been doing better because just having that little bit of extra time to do the things that, that now mean more to her. For sure. If there's someone that is listening, this is my favorite part, that feels at a loss as how to make this change that you've made in the business that you do. If they're like, I know I need to change the way I do business or the way I interact with my coworkers, but the work setting can be complicated. 
What would be your advice to them? Well, for example, if it's your own business, I will tell you this is what happened. Literally, I have been doing this business coaching for the last two years. I have put together all these programs. I have been like down that road. And guess what? I'm scrapping most of it. And and that was hard because you use like your child, you're hanging on to it. No, I'm hanging on to it. But I literally feel called in a different direction. And I have so many people responding to what I'm saying and they're resonating with it that I've just had to allow myself to let the other stuff go and realize that this is a better direction. So if you're feeling like you're hanging on to something because you just can't let go, but you're being called in another direction, go with the calling. Let the other stuff go. Don't hang on to it. With a workspace, for example, if it means maybe that you have to make some changes, I would make them. I left corporate America in 2011 when, you know, the economy in Utah was pretty rough. It was just recovering. A hundred people would have been after that job just like that, right? I was in sales. I was making well over six figures in commission. And I just said, I'm done because new boss walked in and basically tried to micromanage me and too much in my business, right? Yeah. And, and didn't appreciate what I had been doing. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm done. My regret was that I hadn't done it sooner because I had the secret sauce in me. It wasn't the company. It was in me to go out and create my own thing. And so if you're in an environment that you're feeling, oh, I have to be here. No, you don't. I hear that so many times. Oh, I'm, I'm trapped. I have to be in a certain way. No, you don't. You can make different changes. Mm-hmm. You can make different choices. When it just all comes down to it, it's like, just be happy. Why do you want to live it miserable? None of us are guaranteed anything. You know, we're not guaranteed 20 more years in our life. or guaranteed to live till 90. We could be gone in six months. You don't know. Literally, if you're not happy with where you are right now, make some changes. Get happy. Seriously. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I'm sure you feel that, especially now with your son, where Mm -hmm. it really hones in on what's important and what's not. Exactly. When these things happen, like when my father died, when my son died, uh, when my mother-in-law died, those kinds of milestones in your life make you reevaluate or, you know, somebody gets a sickness or anything like this, where you reevaluate and say, am I on the right path? Am I doing the things that are making me happy? Am I making good choices? You know, that that are going to bring me long-term happiness. And if they're not, just change it. Do you have a website or something yep. if people are interested in learning sure. more about just the way you've changed your business practice? Sure. So it's Lark Dean Galley. So L-A-R-K-D-E-A-N Galley, dot com. I have a free module on emotional self-reliance, which is hysterical because four months ago, if you had said, hey, do something with emotion in it, I would be like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> and my friend said, I think you should create an emotional self-reliance course because I've been through like different things in my life that were, that, that were hard and difficult and just like, just crap. And the things I've had to do to create that resiliency so that when I went through first husband left me at six months pregnant and I was mm-hmm. in a depression for 18 months mm-hmm. or when my father um, died by suicide and I was in a dark hole for five months. And now with my son, literally within a week, I made a shift. I'm like, I am not going down that dark hole. How do I keep from doing that? I keep from doing that by deciding that his death is going to have meaning, that I'm going to use it to propel, you know, my message to help other people. And I've done that. I know that I've done affected some young people's lives by that and makes me feel so good. Being able to speak out has helped save lives. Yeah. At the end here, I was wondering, would you just share also a message with someone that is in that dark place? Because I've been in that dark place also, and I know what that feels like. Even though you hear that phrase, you're not alone, it can feel really trite. 
someone that's just feeling like giving up, what would you say to them? So first of all, I've been there. And as I have shared and created a safe place for people to come and share with me, a lot of friends have shared that they've either attempted suicide or have been thinking about it. So it is more prevalent than we even know. People are feeling this. So you, you actually are not alone. And that's my whole point for talking about this is to help other people who are feeling dark. You're not alone. If we all put on happy faces and they're thinking, I'm the only one in the whole wide world that feels like this, that makes them feel alone. And that's not the reality. The other thing is I would say, be with people who love you because when we're in a dark place, we think the solution is to isolate ourselves. And that's exactly opposite of what we need. We need to have a community that we can identify with. We need to feel that we belong. You know, and once again, I I, I look at anybody in a community. It doesn't mean that you have to all be the same. You just have to feel like, they care about you. And that's why it's so important to care about the people that might be on the fringe or might not feel that they belong. Reach out to them. That makes a difference. And the third thing that helps so people don't feel like they want to go down that suicide route is that they need, they often feel like they're a burden to their family. They need to reach out to their family and hopefully the family who maybe see someone that's hurting, let them know you're not a burden. We love you. We need you. Because what happens is I know that you're in pain. If you decide to like check out, that pain doesn't go away. It transfers, literally, it transfers to like over a hundred people. And I look at my son's death, the ripple effects and the pain that is just radiating and reaping havoc. You know, in our family, we're trying to like hold it together, not blaming each other and just trying to hold a safe space for everybody. And his friends who are struggling with this, all of these other people that know him, his cousins, the pain just transfers. Just know that it it doesn't go away when you die. And I really believe that my son's not in the same place mentally, the way he was before he died. You're not sane when you make that choice, really. You know, you, you really aren't in your right mind. Make sure that you can go and talk to someone. There is an app called Safe UT that the Utah State Legislature funds. Pretty much anybody can use it. 24 seven access to, to healthcare providers. There is a national suicide line. This is the thing that gets me is that I did not know Suicide is the number one killer of our youth in Utah. I thought I was a pretty good parent. And then what had happened with my son is he went back three and a half years ago. He went to therapy. And then after a few months, he's like, mom, I'm good. I'm fine. I don't have any more suicidal thoughts. Well, what was fine was that he had come up with a plan. And when he felt like it got too tough, that's when he checked out. As I look back on this, I think, why didn't I follow up with him? Why didn't I know that suicide was so devastating, such a danger? Why didn't I know this as a parent? And that's what I regret is not having the conversations and not seeing, seeing something. And I know there's so many parents that can relate. Are you able to have self-compassion for yourself? Yes, because that that's all I have. I mean, you, you can't blame. I mean, that's where it was so easy in the beginning to go to blame someone else in our family, you know, point fingers to blame yourself. And that doesn't help. We can have regrets. I wish it had been different. We can have sadness about it, but what can we change? That's really what it comes down to. Can't change the past but what can I do? Now I'm having hard conversations with my daughters, right? And they're like, yes, mom, I'm fine. (laughs) They're they're the ones that are getting the hard conversations, but trying to just make changes in the future and telling other parents and people, you know, we need to watch for the people that feel on the fringe that, that are hurting and do our best to let them know we love them. And that's what's changed in me is I'm more apt to like hug people. I'm more apt to say, you did a great job. Or just tell them what I'm thinking about, how much I appreciate them versus holding it inside. 
I love that. I love that. And I'm going to leave a link to your website as well. It's so cool. The amazing work that you're doing. Thank you for being here. Next week, we are going to talk with a woman who has actually used poetry. She's created a poetry group that is helping people feel seen and feel united. I just have to tell you, I met her in the return line at Costco. (laughs) That's where I met her. And I started talking to her and I was like, you need to come be on my podcast. So sometimes that's how guests come on the podcast. So if you see me in Costco and don't want to be on here, maybe just run away and hide your face until next friday my name is julie lee and i see you 